official show on the Fish Stripes podcast. I am Eli Sussman, always bringing you Miami Marlins coverage on this pod and fishstripes.com and the Fish Stripes social media accounts. Right now, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to find Marlins news. It's been a very quiet offseason, especially for this team that we cover and care about so deeply. Uh, but two weeks from now is the deadline for the National Baseball Hall of Fame voters to mail in their ballots for the class of 2021. That is always a passionate discussion topic, right? Who deserves baseball immortality? I am dedicating most of this episode to breaking down the candidates that are on the ballot and the Hall of Fame process in general, but I'm not doing it on my own. Joining me, uh, I got two great analysts here that are going to help me out through this process. Ethan Badaski, he's been on this podcast feed dozens of times uh, 2019 earning their stripes almost every single week uh, for this 2020 shortened season. I put up his series reaction videos here on the pod feed and very soon uh, starting his own podcast project called big hall talk, which is, is right down your alley, Ethan on discussing hall of famers, potential hall of famers. So uh, I'm sure you've done your research on this. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I had to do a podcast. I had to create a pilot for a class this year and I had this idea and then I kind of like realized towards the end, what I really wanted to do was talk about the hall of fame. Um, so I scrapped that idea and I went with the hall of fame and ran with it. Um, so I'm going to have my pilot coming soon and then, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Hopefully going to be going kind of like case by case. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here and talk about one of my favorite topics. Yeah, and along here with Ethan and I, a great young journalist and broadcaster, Danielle Alvarez Montes from El Extra Base, IVC Networks, Swings and Mishes in Espanol. He uh, he loves the sport. He knows the sport very very well. And uh, so I've been following him on Twitter for years. This is my first time actually talking to him directly, and it feels great. Uh, so he's joins us on the pod for the first time, and in Gles, por favor. Uh, but you know, it's, it's great analysis that he's given in Spanish. And I'm sure we have some people in the audience that are already uh, familiar with all the work that he does with, with all those outlets. So welcome, Daniel. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure for me to be here finally on, on, on your pod and, you know, to be talking with you and, and Ethan, of course, guys. I mean, you know, I've been following you for, for a while now. I follow your, your stuff all the time. I see your guys uh, in the press box and... I really enjoy it. So uh, thank you for having me here. Yeah, my, my staffers get a chance to cover the game themselves. For people that don't know, I'm based in New York where I'm not joking. It is snowing right now. For, and it's just starting. <laughs> not quite gonna, snowing here. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's the start of what's going to be a big, the biggest storm that we've had here in a couple of years. It's going to be all overnight and into the morning. So uh, I'm hoping at least for the next, you know, 40 minutes or so that, that my Wi-Fi stays up and that nothing knocks it out and gets in the way of this recording. So thank you to both of you guys. Uh, before getting into all the Hall of Fame talk, because we follow the Marlins so closely, I just wanted to start with a couple of those topics. Uh, as things go, I mean, we're, we're now two full or more than two months removed from when the team was eliminated from the postseason. And uh, we're, we're a full week removed from the end of, you know, the quote unquote winter meetings or the time when the winter meetings 
usually occur. And uh, the team looks pretty similar to what it did at the end of last year. And not that that's a terrible thing because I mean, the way that last season went, I, I think anybody would consider it a success, especially given the adversity that they faced with the COVID outbreak. Uh, but at, for the moment, things are very, very similar with their roster makeup. Only some minor changes on the pitching staff, saying goodbye to Jose Urania, picking up a couple Rule 5 draft picks. And uh, just yesterday, we got the latest update from Kim Eng, um, where she emphasized some more that they're still going to do something else with the bullpen to reinforce that. Uh, but all things considered, uh, no big moves and not necessarily the expectation of uh, – doing anything big to really shake up the team more so just trusting these internal options um so i'll just start with ethan on that uh how satisfied are you with uh what they have or haven't done so far uh what what other positions do you think they need to address before this offseason is done Mm -hmm. to make this what you consider a successful offseason because i think i speak for for all of us that last offseason was a very encouraging step forward. And as things panned out with Jesus Aguilar, with Brandon Kinsler, a lot of the players that they did pick up on uh, heading into the 2020 season, maybe made the difference in them making the playoffs. So for them to take this next step forward, yeah. uh, what what are those key positions that they need to address or anybody in particular that you think fits well with the team? Well, I think the first thing is um, the biggest acquisition that the Marlins have made this all season is Starling Marte. Like they, 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 you know what I mean? They, they, they uh, exercise the option on Starling Marte. And in a way that's the biggest move that they've made because now you get a full season of him. So usually when you trade for him at the deadline, you would have gotten the length of last season's schedule uh, out of him. But now, you know, you only got whatever it was 30 games out of him. Now you're getting a full season and that's a really productive player over, uh, you know, a full 162 game season. The problem is the Marlins need a lot more than Starling Marte on the offensive side of the ball. Um, You know, at this point, yes, they made the playoffs, but would they have made the playoffs in a regular year? I don't think so. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not sure how sustainable that was. They went through ruts. They went through, you know, very long winning streaks. I mean, they came out of the gate seven and one, and that in a way kind of cemented them into the playoffs right away because of how um, long the season was. But I think they have to, I think, you know, Kim Ang um, has come out and said bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. And I love that because we certainly need help back there. Um, Trevor May was a name that I really liked. And he, I think he went to the Mets. Um, so he's off the board. And I was kind of disappointed that we didn't make a charge at him. I saw we were going to go after, um, I can't remember, Corey Knable. Um, it felt like Mish was kind of hinting that the, that was a, an option the Marlins like. And then he got scooped up by the Dodgers. So right now they're moving a little slow for my liking. Um, I would, you know, Blake Trinan is out there. Liam Hendricks is a name that's out there um, in the bullpen market. There are some good arms to be had and there's not really much happening on the offensive side of the ball. I think you have to acquire an impact bat. Um, you know, some people really wanted us to go big and, and go for a Lindor or spend $300 million, you know, 200, $300 million on JT real Muto that's not where the Marlins are at right now, because along with trading for Lindor and giving up a prospect hall, you'd have to hopefully resign him to a huge contract. Um, so I don't think that's where the Marlins are at, but uh, James McCann is a really nice name. Um, and, and he got scooped up. 
Um, you, you know, you let him go to division rival. So I would like to see them make an acquisition at catcher um, to either help Jorge Alfaro or to make Alfaro the backup option, because I'm not sure how I feel about his offensive productivity and potential right now. So I would like to see them, yeah, go out and sign a bat that will help jumpstart the offense because, you know, uh, Ang talked about getting a full season out of Corey Dickerson, which I think could be good. But is that enough to, you know, keep you in the playoff race? I'm not sure. So maybe a couple more arms and a bat is where I'd like to see them go. Well, I, I feel the same way, uh, just, just like you, Ethan, because I, first of all, I, I think the first group of guys that know that, um, I mean, I, I don't, I think the Marlins feel that in a 162 game season, it was very difficult to, to make the playoffs with that roster. Uh, I think they feel the same way. So I, I'm not quite sure how, how competitive they're going to be next year, uh, if it's going to be maybe playing for 500, maybe more than that, and fighting for a wildcard position because at this point, we don't know if, we, if we're going to have an expanded playoff format. I don't think so, at least for 2021, maybe 2022. But definitely have to, to improve in, in, you know, pitching, hitting. Uh, you need more than, maybe more than one bat, maybe more than, than starting Marte. I think there's a, not a big hole, uh, hole but you have to do something with second base because right now I don't see, for example, I mean, a, a team competing, you know, on a daily basis for a playoff spot with Jazz and or Ethan Diaz playing second base, especially because I don't see how how they can develop that fast, you know, by playing in the big leagues or whatever they're going to do in, in the minor leagues. So you, I, I think you need a, a bigger guy. To play second base, maybe a guy like Colton Wong. I, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure if they're gonna go after him, or something like that. But I, I think you need more support there, you know, in, in the offense and in, with same, same with pitching and especially relievers. Um, Craig mentioned something. Craig Mish mentioned something today about a lefty reliever. Uh, seeing guys like Doolittle, Tony Watson, Justin Wilson, of course, Brad Hand is the for me the big fish out there. Uh, that will be huge. But right now, we know how the relievers market is working. I mean, not having a team paying 10 millions to Brad Hand, for me, it's something, you know, um, crazy. But at the same time, when you see what the Rays did or other small market, market teams did by having pitchers um, not paying them more than a million dollars or two or three or whatever, just like you had guys like Nick Anderson and... Um, you know, all the, the whole stable in, in Tampa uh, that shakes things, uh, you know, a little bit. So it's going to be interesting, but I definitely feel that uh, maybe one or two more guys in the bullpen or in the rotation, even when the Marlins have a deep rotation and a great rotation. Um, I'm, I'm always going to quote Mike Hill here saying that there's not enough pitching in the rotation. So uh, I feel that they need to to work with relievers and, and at least one more bat. Yeah, and just one thing I want to say real quickly is don't panic because they didn't do anything at the winter meetings. Yeah. Um, the winter meetings have been slow for a few years now. The, the general market has been slow for a few years now. I mean, um, you know, didn't Harper not sign until like spring training had already started when he signed for the Phillies? So it's just March. kind of... Yeah, he signed in March, and and I think JT 
did some or uh, JT was traded on the dump. But anyway, the market. But he um, was traded. As, he was traded like a week away from. It, from yes, training, in February. Right? In February. Yeah. So the the mar- the the way the baseball offseason has gone, the stove hasn't been very high, um, especially in December and January. And the winter meetings, you know, you expect every year that the Marlin, you know, the Burley and the Hanley and the, you know, when Pujols was out there, when we ended up signing Jose Reyes, you expect a winter meetings like that. But that hasn't been, it hasn't been that way for a few years now. And so you just kind of got to let the market develop. And it's hard. I'm not very patient. You know, the Cubs, who I love and follow as well, are developing a very important offseason very slowly so it's just how it is in baseball right now so it's not worth panicking but I really like the Colton Wong name that you mentioned Daniel I think he's a a great player Um, and 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 Brad Hand would be like if they really want to do it that would be the big big name that they could go for because it's a lefty how many great lefty relief you know closers are there in in the MLB right now Um, and you know, he's been here before, bring him home in a way. Um, but yeah, I it, don't expect anything to happen really fast. It's just kind of going to come out of nowhere. That's how it's been for a few years now. He's an original Florida Marlin. So yes. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be something that's nice. <laughs> him, him and Andrew Miller, two guys that yeah, you know, weren't exactly. great for the Marlins and then went elsewhere and or tremendous yeah. closures. Yeah, yeah, so, I, just, you know. I, I just think the Marlins misuse him, uh, Brad Hand, but yeah. Yeah, that was a mistake from the previous ownership. Exactly. Yeah, far, I mean, we're, far we're away. Now, so. Far and away, <laughs> Brad Hand is the most popular free agent target on Marlins Twitter. Like anytime I, I, I mention anything or I, I see anything that vaguely talks about the Marlins and relievers, he's always the, the first one that comes up. Uh, either somebody putting a picture of him or a pun with his name. It's, I yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't think they're going to spend what it takes because even though, I mean, technically the Indians in declining his club option and instead of actually just retaining him, they could have had him on the roster and, and traded him, but they assumed, I think they made some sort of miscalculation about his actual market value because I'm, I'm pretty sure that when the dust settles, he's going to get a multi-year deal and a pretty significant one uh, just at that time, allowing him to hit free agency. Um, there's going to be so many teams involved because as much as uh, the Marlins may be interested in him, I mean, you look around, when I check around in other uh, team communities, basically every team's fans mm-hmm. are asking for Brad hands. I mean, because the stats are so overwhelming, the track record is so good and he's still right in the prime of his career. So that's, yeah, I, I, there's going to be a lot of competition for him. I, I, I do wonder exactly what they'll do with the rotation because even though that seems to be the strength of the team right now and guys that uh, I, I certainly believe in very much, it's incredible how young the entire rotation is and how untested it is. Where outside of Sandy Alcantara, I mean, none of these guys have pitched a full season in the rotation at the major league level. And they have maybe a dozen rotation candidates in their organization between Sandy and Pablo and Eliezer and Sixto and Edward Cabrera and Braxton and Trevor Rogers and Nick Neidert and Yamamoto and George Guzman and Jordan Holloway. And I got most of them there. Uh, Daniel Castano, all those guys, very intriguing, but they're all inexperienced at the major league level. So I really do expect at some point, maybe not a guaranteed major league deal to somebody because their roster is very tight right now. It's hard. uh, It's just hard to add players without subtracting. I think that they are going to bring in some sort of veteran pitcher on a minor league deal 
someone that if they make the roster, then uh, they have significant incentives to go along with that. But uh, they've had some success with that the last few years with finding players on minor league deals and uh, having them be pretty decent contributors. Brad Boxberger was a minor league deal. Mm -hmm. John Birdie, Harold Ramirez, they've done a good job at picking these guys that um, are past their prospect days, uh, but still have significant upside and some experience and that they ended up hitting more often than not on those pickups. So I think they're going to add some sort of starting depth behind yeah. the young guys we already know. Uh, but moving on a little bit, just so we could get to the Hall of Fame conversation pretty yeah. soon. Back to Danielle, um, the one player, we've been following a lot of players on fish traps that are playing winter ball uh, to make up for time missed during the shortened season to get experience that they weren't able to get because there weren't that many games played at the major league level. And there was no minor league games played during 2020. And uh, it's been fun for me to, to watch them and to share the highlights and to try to understand what implications that has for next season and beyond. But you are my go-to source for looking at shortstop Jose Salas, 17 year old Venezuelan shortstop that signed with the Marlins in July of 2019 who uh, has an interesting background and in that he, he grew up in Florida and then moved back to Venezuela and that his family history is a tremendous baseball experience within his family. And uh, the Marlins invested a lot in him to sign him, but we haven't been able to see him play in any official professional games until just a few weeks ago when he was on this roster in the Venezuelan winter league. And you uh, in your capacity with IVC networks, you've been able to broadcast some of his games, including his very first game of his career, where right off the bat, he got off to a great start and picked up a couple hits. And I know he's been struggling a little bit since then, but it's still been really interesting just to follow the box scores and to see that initially being a shortstop, but then his team moving him into center field for a, a good stretch of time. And the, the fact that he is uh, this is the most astounding thing that he is full 10 years younger than the average player that he's playing against in the Venezuelan yeah. winter league. Um, I just wanted to get your perspective on what you're seeing of this guy. He is a consensus top 20 prospect in the Marlins organization and somebody that I think has the potential to be far better than that. Um, that being able to actually watch so many of his games and, and broadcast them and get to know him a little better than the rest of us. Uh, he is, uh, I believe, the only active Marlins player in the Venezuelan Winter League. I I'm curious what you've been able to see from him and um, what should all the Marlins prospect aficionados that, that really want to know what to expect from him once he actually comes to the minor leagues, uh, what are your first impressions of seeing him on the field? Well, it was really impressive because that morning when, or that afternoon when I was doing my lineup, you know, for, for our broadcast, I saw Salas, Jose Salas, it's like, wait a second. I mean, when did he sign with, with Zulia, with, with Aguila and Zulia in, in Venezuela? And he signed like 48 hours before, before opening day. So for me, it was really impressive to see him there and then to see him in the lineup because I'm like, this guy is 17 years old and he's going to face guys, you know, that play double A single A, double A, triple A, big leagues, independent league, Mexico, um, Japan, Korea, whatever. And, and I was really, you know, impressed to, to see him there because what, what happens in Venezuela and same in the Dominican, Puerto Rico, Mexico, now Colombia is that you, you don't get, I mean, you don't use a player to develop him because you're competing for a real thing. 
So if you have if you have one bad week or two or three, they're just going to send you home. Or when we had in Venezuela, the uh, minor leagues there, they send, would have sent him there. But for me, it's really important, you know, for Jose to be playing there because he's going to learn a lot of things. He's never played professionally before. Uh, he's playing shortstop. He's playing center field. When, when, when I saw him playing center field, it was just his second day in that position. He only had one game and the, the night I saw him, it was a double header. So I, I made him, I, I saw him making him a couple of great plays. And it reminded me when the Marlins had Andy playing in right field for the first time. Like for one month or two, we were like, I mean, this is not the first time that this guy is playing right field. I mean, he has played there before. Well, Salas looked very good as well. And I said on the air, like, if you tell somebody that this is his first time playing center field, he's not going to believe you because he's playing so good. And he he really showed that he's really mature, you know, to be 17 years old and facing guys uh, that played in the big leagues this year or that have been, you know, on a very good level in, in Venezuela for the last couple of seasons. For me, that I mean, to me, that says a lot because uh, you, you can see how mentally, how big he is right now. And I think that's a very good sign for the Marlins. Now he's not playing every day because Aguilas, I mean, they're competing and they got players um, that have been playing in the league for, for years. And uh, I think they're trying to, to figure it out who to play, who, who's going to play center field every day because they, they've been having, you know, real problems there for the last three weeks. But it's going to be interesting because whenever he gets the chance to be back at shortstop or center field or hitting seven, eight or nine, he's, he's going to do okay because, I mean, he's, he's very mature right now. So just my one question for you is, um, you know, I, I, I try not to take too much into results because they're, you know, overmatched and stuff. And, and it's the same way when the, the, the guys from the minors came up um, and played this year, you know, they were kind of forced into action. And, and um, I, I really just want to see, because eventually the ball is going to land if they're doing the right thing. So, you know, what have you seen from his approach at the plate that's impressed you? And what do you see um, that makes him a good prospect for the Marlins? That's, that's a great question, Ethan, because when the first time I saw him, not only he got a couple of hits, but the quality of the at-bats were pretty good because he's, he's not looking you know, swinging big, you know, all the time. He was trying to drive the ball to the opposite field and he was using, you know, left field because he was hitting uh, lefty, left field, center field and working with the counts. So when I saw that, I said, I mean, I mean, I've been watching a major league baseball players or players in the Venezuelan league for years and not having quality at bats like the ones he, he had. And when he was playing center field, for example, I mean, the way he was reading Every, every fly ball and knowing where to throw uh, to the cutoff man or which base to throw. I mean, for me, that said a lot uh, because of how, because of his knowledge of the game. And when he was at the plate, he was facing the, um, he was facing Nestor Molina. And then he was facing, I think it was Raul Rivero. Both, both of them have been uh, pitchers of the year in Venezuela. And right now they are at the top of their game. And when I saw the quality of the at-bats that he had, that really impressed me. And I said, okay, I mean, this, this kid could be really good because of how mature he is. If I saw that correctly, isn't uh, old friends Henderson Alvarez pitching in the league yeah. this year? I, yeah, I, because I, I think they actually faced there. each other. 
I think I, there was one game where uh, Zulia faced whatever uh, team Outlers is on. And yeah. between them, there's a 13 year age difference. So that's yeah, that's no hitter. That's no hitter holder. No hitter thrower. Henderson Alvarez to you, Elon. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. He, he he faced he faced Jose. Um, we we had technical problems that night, so we, we, oh. didn't, we, we, we But I, I was supposed to to be on on that game as well. I mean, hopefully, we got it on the air with the guys in in Caracas um, that were our backup guys, but. Um, yeah, they faced each other. I, I don't remember exactly how how it ended, but it's it's good to see Henderson trying to to, to come back. Uh, I saw him pitching here in, in FIU a couple of times. Uh, the way he was throwing the ball, I, I know that scouts from the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Marlins, uh, Braves, Tampa Bay Rays, they all saw him. Uh, he looked very good. Didn't didn't have luck, but uh, hopefully he's gonna he's gonna be back you know, and to a major league organization sooner. Seriously, he, he's the yeah. type of player I was, I was talking about before where you just need some sort of veteran who's been through full major league seasons. And we know he's been set back by injuries the past couple of years, but fully healthy now. And I know he did pitch a little bit last summer in the yeah. independent leagues and pitching now. So yes, I think throwing 90, just... 97, 96, 98 yeah. sometimes. Wow. So that, that, that has to tell you something. I mean, I, I saw a change up. I saw the, the slider. They look pretty sharp to me, so uh, I say maybe I, I don't know. You know who, who I love to see talking about comebacks and bringing home some guys, uh, Anibal Sanchez. I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. I was of- looking at the I was looking at the starting uh, pitching free agent market, and he he was a name that caught my eye. And there's certainly a lot of there's certainly a lot of other guys out there that um, you know um, the Marlins could. I was going to mention that. It, there's guys for, you know, if the Marlins want to add a certified MLB starter that's had success um, to sure up that fifth spot because you don't really know what it's going to be um, at the beginning of the year, there's got there's names. They're, they can definitely do it. So, of course. Both with Anibal and with Henderson at the very top of their game, there was short windows there where they were some of the best starters in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, I think Anibal won an ERA title in the American League. And yeah. yeah, we know, I mean, a lot of people he, don't know how good Henderson was uh, those first couple full seasons in the majors, but he was, he was incredibly consistent for the Marlins. He, too. he, he won the, the ERA title the same weekend Henderson threw a no-hitter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was it against Detroit, right? Last series of the season. Yeah, and he, I think yeah, he pitched that on no-hitter was against Detroit, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, they, 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 he won the ERA title and then Henderson did magic. <laughs> Well, from that, a couple players that had great peaks for the Marlins and against the Marlins, we transitioned to the Hall of Fame conversation. I believe there are officially 25 players on the ballot this year for the class of 2021. Uh, people, most fans know the rules that, uh, like it or not, limited to voting for 10 players on this ballot in a given year. Vote, uh, voting goes to the Baseball Writers Association of America uh, I think at this point, there's about 400 something writers that are active voters involved in this. And uh, if you guys aren't already familiar, there is this ballot tracker from Ryan Thibodeau on Twitter that he's been running the last handful of years to keep track of exactly how the voting is going, because ballots went out to voters about a month ago. And shortly after that, voter uh, writers started to submit their ballots. And we have an early taste at what that voting is looking like. 
But the reason why we're recording this subject now is to make a last plea to some of the other voters out there that have a say in this election. And I mean, hopefully the three of us have a say in the election some years down the road um, as part of the voting process. But for right now, this is about making the case for some of the deserving players that are on the ballot, um, where for years and years, there was this big backlog of talented players that were kept out by changing standards, by the questions about performance enhancing drugs. And uh, some of those concerns still apply, but uh, it's, it's a fascinating conversation every year uh, because the Baseball Hall of Fame has been around for so long and the process has uh, always been very unique. And this is a very heated uh, discussion topic. And I know both of you have given a lot of thought into uh, the players on the ballot this year, which is why we wanted to hear from both of you, the players that you would be selecting if you were in a position to select so without further ado, we'll start with Ethan, just picking uh, any one player that you want to start with on this ballot that you think is deserving of going into the hall this year. Well, I am a guy. Uh, I'm a big hall guy. I don't see any reason to keep guys out just for an exclusivity factor. Um, if a guy had a career worthy of the Hall of Fame, I don't, you know, I don't care how many of them are on the ballot. I'm limited to 10. Um, So I'll vote for 10. There are actually 11 this year that I would vote for. Um, I'll just go in alphabetical order. And actually, by starting in alphabetical order, I start with the biggest one, the most important one, the greatest player to ever play the game, put on a uniform. It's Barry Bonds. Um, There is no Hall of Fame. Um, It is not legitimate. Uh, I saw what happened with the X there. <laughs> you need an X that big to, for um, how passionate I am about Barry Bonds' Hall of Fame case. Um, until Barry Bonds is in the Hall of Fame, uh, what are we doing? Um, you know, this guy, let me pull up some numbers here. I mean, he is, like I said, far and away, just the, you know, the greatest player to ever play the game. Um, uh, you know, I understand there, that there are people that have – the PEDs that they're not going to, you know, put in any steroids guys, but I don't see it that way. Um, you know, it's just kind of, that's what the game was back then. And bonds was a, you know, a hall of famer without it anyway. Um, he has the fourth highest OPS all time. He has the third highest weighted runs created plus of all time, the second highest war of all time behind Babe Ruth. Um, he's the home run King. He's the only member of the 500 home run, 500 stolen bases club. Um, He has the most walks of all time. And that's like Gretzky style lead over the rest of the pack. Um, His walk percentage is eight points higher than his K percentage. And when he was blackballed from the league um, in his final year in 2007, he was 40 something years old and he had an OPS over a thousand, which is just absurd. Um, 14 all-stars, seven MVPs, 12 sluggers, eight gold gloves, which you wouldn't think that Barry Bonds has eight gold gloves because of what he became um, later in his career. But he was a speed defense guy early in his career with the Pirates. And even when he was with the Giants, um, that's more gold gloves than Larry Walker had. It's the same amount as uh, Scott Rowland, who we'll talk about later. And it's only one less than Yadier Molina, who's considered the best defensive player at the one of the most important defensive positions. So, like I said, there is no Hall of Fame until Barry Bonds is in it. Um, put his name down, put an X next to it, because he he has to be on there. And until he's and I hope he's 
it seems like he might be able to squeeze in next year um, if he gets upwards towards like 65% this year. Um, you know, Larry Walker made a huge jump like that. Um, a, a Hall of Famer now and a guy that should have been a Hall of Famer a long time ago. Um, but Barry has to be in. It's just how it is. So that that's where I'll start. And I know, Danielle, that, that you are going to vote for him too. You sent over ahead of time the 10 players that you picked. So with your permission, I'll move the X on your ballot to him as well. Um, but we'll go to you with, uh, unless you have anything to add on Barry, um, I, I just any other player that you want to go to among your 10 well, that you think it, well, you man, vote for. Well, man, what Ethan said about Barry, it's 100% true. And I know that, you know, the discussion with the PEDs and, and all that stuff, I, it's it's hard for me to, to say no to such a dominant career as Barry's. I mean, when you speak about dominance, for me, that's Barry Bonds. Um, same thing with Roger Clemens. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with, you know, in alphabetical order, order uh, with El Comedulce, uh, Bobby <laughs> Brave, um, now a Phillies Wall of Fame member. Um, I have to go with Bobby. I mean, I think we are overlooking his what his career was and, and his number as well. And and when I look, you know, deep in, into into his numbers and, and what he did with, with the Phillies when he was at the top of his game, I mean, it, it's, it's something crazy. And you start seeing him compared to guys like uh, even Bonds, but Ichiro, Sosa, uh, Walker, Helton. I mean, guys that were on their prime too in, in that same era. And I see him and he, he was you know, pretty complete as a player. And because he, he was doing basically everything, hitting, running, uh, defensively. I think he, he was unlucky maybe because when he was playing for the Phillies, the Phillies never had a great team. And, you know, that, that great ride for, for the Phillies in 08, 09, 2010 started when they traded Bobby. But what he meant to them and what he was able to do in, in every aspect of the game was for me just impressive. And, and when you see you see him compared to some of the players that are already in the Hall of Fame or that should be Hall of, Fam- Hall of Famers as well, uh, for me, he's, he's right there. And he, and he did uh, everything for a long period of, t- period of time uh, in a difficult era as well, because, of course, it, it was the last years i mean those were the last year of the peds era so uh, it was very difficult to be a guy like bonds or sosa or mcguire and to be that impressive impressive and that dominant so maybe i don't know that's why people is like overlooking his his numbers or or something but uh i think he did everything he he could to be there yeah, I, I I was actually really interested. I told Eli when he told me, you know, about the idea for the podcast, about hearing from you about Bobby's case. And now that I'm looking at it, I mean, he's got a really, really, his numbers are tremendous. His war is at um, 59.8, which a lot of people say 60 is that threshold that you're in. Um, and that's right up there with it. I don't necessarily set a hard cutoff at 60 or anything, um, but an 870 career OPS longevity um 400 stolen bases and 288 home runs hit a really fantastic career and and definitely like opening my eyes to him um you know 
on, on my ballot. He, he's in the early stages, I want to say, right? What this is his second, second year. This is his second, second year. year. So, yeah. you know, a guy that once some of these guys are off can definitely um, be online. Yeah. And as of this recording, I mean, according to the battle tracker from Ryan Thibodeau, only 16.3% of the vote. So he'll need, it's, it's a but long shot of him getting in this year. It's, but. it's, a, it's a long shot, but as, as long as he, as he stays in the ballot. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I don't think there's a reason, you know, to, to think that he's going to fall, you know, and have less than 5%, yeah. which is the, the necessary to be to still on the ballot. Uh, for ten years, I mean, yeah, he he's, he has a pretty good chance to maybe go two percent more, maybe six seven percent. That could be good for him, but he has to start making the case as well. Uh, I know the Phillies are are helping him. I remember what Vladdy Guerrero did a couple of years ago. The the first time he was on the ballot, he he fell short. I don't I don't remember his percentage, but then the jump that he made mm-hmm. when he got in was really impressive. And I, I remember he was traveling all around the country in mm-hmm. Miami, LA, um, Washington. I think he was there as well. Um, you like, know, there are some, and, and, and every city he played, like talking to, to voters, like, Hey, mm-hmm. I have a pretty good case now. So maybe, I don't, I don't know if Bobby's going to do something like that. There, there are some guys and I kind of hate this that won't, you know, they're like, Oh, he's a fourth ballot hall of famer well what's the difference between a first ballot guy and a fourth ballot guy obviously you know the first ballot there's something to be said about you know that is usually reserved for you know the marianos was the first unanimous and then ken griffey was the first ballot and you know some of these other guys that it's usually reserved for the top of you know the cream of the crop but if you're vote if you're going to vote for him in year seven why are you not voting for him in year two? Um, so a lot, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you do that truck right there. I don't get it either. Um, so, you know, guys usually make big jumps later on, um, but it, it, he's going to stay. He only needs, it's, I think it said only 13 more votes to stay above that 5.5. He'll get that with yeah. ease. And, and, and so, yeah, he'll be on for years to come, I imagine. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Is he on your ballot this year, Ethan? Is he one of your 10? He is not. Um, there are, like I said, I'm just really starting to learn about his case, um, but he will be. <laughs> he will be once. Man, know, I'm going to send, I'm gonna send, I'm, I'm gonna send you something as, as soon as yeah, we finish here. Yeah, so absolutely. Be- you know, um, Schilling's probably getting in this year, and then there will be a couple guys in the next couple mm-hmm. years that um, their cases are done, um, or, you know, they, they're up, their time is up. So once, you know, some of these other guys, uh, yeah, I will absolutely be voting for Bobby. Right. Well, well, give us, give us one of yours, Ethan, aside from Barry. The next one I'm just going to keep, because I'm looking at it this way, I'm going to keep going down in alphabetical order is Roger Clemens, the rocket. Um, Again, there's no hall of fame without Roger Clemens. Um, He is arguably the greatest pitcher to ever take the mound. Um, you know, it's hard for me. I don't 
look, you know, it's harder to talk about some of these pitching metrics and really understand how they measure up. So I'm not going to throw a bunch of numbers at you. Um, but I mean, he, he's got it all. He's third all time in strikeouts, 11 time all-star. He won seven Cy Youngs. He was considered by, you know, the voters to be the best pitcher in the league seven years in his career. That's tremendous. He led the ER, he led the league in ERA seven times, five times in strikeouts, four times in wins. He has an MVP. He won two triple crowns and he won a couple world series. Um, one, one of the best pitchers of all time. I understand, you know, the PED things and everything. I have never been one to keep a guy out of the hall of fame because of PEDs. Um, there are some cases, you know, a guy tests twice or whatever, but when it's Roger Clemens and when it's Barry Bonds, that's it. They have to be in. Yeah. I, I agree with you here as well with, uh, the rocket. I mean, he has to be there. When you, when you speak about dominance again with with Barry, and being the best of the best, you have to think about Roger, and he's up there for sure. I mean, he 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 has to be on the on the whole. I I, I think that, and I don't I don't I don't know if the, if this is good or not, but they're gonna get in next year when it's their last year, because I I, I think that it's maybe a punishment. From, from the voters because of the PED thing, uh, which was never proven by MLB. They never tested positive. Uh, like we know, and I don't, I don't think we need more evidence than the ones we have, but um, I think they're gonna get there eventually, maybe next year um, or I mean 2022, because I, I think it might be a punishment from, from the, the writers, you know, to wait until until their last year on the ballot and maybe on year 10, you know, go for it. Again, yeah. and again, that's another thing that I really don't like is is saying Me neither. Me neither. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep you out because of like what why? You if you think and, I'm a Hall of Famer, and, and, vote for it, me. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It it really kind of pisses me off. And um yeah, if they get to that 64, 65, which I think is where they're hanging out right now. Um, if they get to that 64, 65 percentage, an 11 point chump, especially if a lot of those voters, like you said, which I think some of them will, um, you know, just wait until that 10th ballot, he'll, they'll make a, you know, Larry jumped like, I don't, I can't even, he was at like 59 or 60 something. So if they're hanging around where they need a 10 to 11 point chump, they, they have a good shot next year. All right. Well, Danielle, we'll get a uh, number four from you, your, your fourth player. Having already picked Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. Who else? Okay, so I'm going to go with uh, TH, Todd Helton uh, from nice, the Rockies. Nice. First baseman. Uh, one of the most, I mean, when, when that guy steps up to the plate, I mean, he was, I mean, you, you knew that there was always the possibility to see something uh, real good happening, in, especially in Colorado. Uh, he was maybe one of the top three first basemen of his generation when, when he played and when he was on his prime. Uh, a leader in that team that never got pitching support. Of course, it's difficult to get that at course field. But what he what he meant to the Rockies and, and what he did, you know, during those seasons and, and especially when I go to the year 2000, 2000 I don't know how he finished fifth in a nl mvp voting that's something just crazy for me i mean are you kidding me you're you're talking about the guy who led the league in average with 372 slugging uh 698 ops 
I mean, 1,162, that's something crazy. So PS1 was 163, so that's 63 points above league average. I mean, what are you looking for? I, I know Coors and all the stuff you want, but mm-hmm. are you seeing that? I mean, how well, he didn't win the, the MVP, or at least was a, a finalist. And he also played a very, very good uh, first base. He was really good with the glove. And, and when you see that, how you know, complete he was at this time. For me, it's a, it's a no-brainer, and, and Todd has to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Ethan, that's actually almost... where I was go- Yeah, that's where I was going to go next as well, Eli. Um, you know, this is the this is the new Larry Walker, in a way, um, except I think Larry had a more polished, better resume, um, and his home road splits weren't quite as um, bad as um, Helton's are, but Helton's aren't bad at all. Um, he had a 9.99 OPS at home and an 8.33 OPS, so that's certainly a big a big change. But he was still a really good hitter away from Coors Field. Um, he had a 121 rated runs created plus, um, which I believe is park adjusted. So a very good hitter. Um, 9.53 career OPS, 132 weighted runs created plus, 55 WAR. Um, three-time Gold Glover, four-time Silver Slugger. So he did it on both sides of the plate. Um, and until Pujols came in, probably the best first baseman in the National League um, and was on track to be, you know, the best first baseman in the National League in his era um, until that guy in St. Louis joined the league. So this is this is another one, you know, he, he's going to be held out because of the ballpark thing. And I think that's um, the MLB chose to have a team in Colorado, not Larry Walker, <laughs> not Todd Helton. So they shouldn't be punished for that. Um, Todd Helton's got a more deserving career of being in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's not one of the, you know, not the strongest case on the ballot like Barry is, but it's a very strong one. Um, and it's one that I feel is certainly warranted. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll mention it a little later, how I feel about Helton. He's one that I, I wiggled back and forth on him being a couple years older than you guys, having watched a little bit more of his career. And uh, I, I, it's, it's tricky because I feel like at the time he was underappreciated. And that's always a factor when possible. I think sometimes we don't have quite the perspective we'd want on some of these older players, not remembering them. But, but he was a guy that uh, despite the inc- like undisputable dominant numbers that he put up during his prime I I felt that he wasn't top of mind for me watching him live as a baseball fan uh, for reasons outside of his control of course with the Rockies just not being very good at all (laughs) any year until uh, they broke through made the World Series in 2007 and then by that point he was already uh, probably past his peak so he was he that's why it's going to be fascinating uh journey for him on the ballot he's I mean he's doing pretty solidly on the the voting so far I think receiving over half of the support on the publicly known ballots like 53 percent where again this year is it's going to be tough for him to get in but he's on that trajectory that usually when players receive this much support and still have uh, a a little while to go with their eligibility they usually get over that hump Uh, moving right along no, well, okay, yeah. So one yeah, last word I, on him. I just had one more. I just had, well, I had one more point to make about Helton, and it's the Rockies guys. You don't often think of them as great fielders, and certainly Helton, you know, playing first base, and he was a big power guy. 
three gold gloves just really good. <laughs> you know, that's so you it shows he did he did it all around. So um, it's it's a very it's definitely a fascinating case. And those Rockies, you know, when Arenado comes up eventually, which I'm sure he'll be on a ballot down the line, he'll be another guy that's you know very interesting. And Larry went all the way to the end. Um, so this will be one that will be drawn out. But yeah, it's it's. There are two sides to every argument, and, and def- except Barry Bonds. But there are two sides to every argument, and, and this one is certainly fascinating. Yeah, keep keep moving down your ballot. Give us the next player that you'd vote for, Ethan. Or, or All right, so next I'll, – I'll go. Yeah, go, I'll go. go so the next next I'm going to go to Andrew Jones. Yes. Um, and this is, this is um, not one of the stronger cases on the ballot. Um, you know, if I were a small hall guy and I really wanted to only go for four or five, maybe this one wouldn't be on there. Um, but basically, it comes down to this. He's arguably the best defensive center fielder since Willie Mays, and he hit 450 home runs in his career. Um, so the reason that he'll a lot of guys will argue against him is his career didn't last very long. He was um, kind of derailed. His career was kind of derailed by injuries. For a lot of his career, he was a relatively average hitter, um, and his batting average, I think, is only 254 lifetime. Um, that let me just check and make sure, but that is pretty much argument against him. Yeah, only a 254 hitter lifetime, 11, 111 weighted runs created plus, but a 67 WAR, and that's the sign of a really good player who wasn't the greatest hitter of all time, but is one of the best defensive players at one of the most important defensive positions and one of the key parts of a I guess you wouldn't say a dynasty because they only won one world series but a powerhouse in the 90s that team ran the 90s especially in the national league east and in the national league and he was a huge part of it um andrew jones was a terror when i was a kid him and chipper were a terror and um like i said that combination of exceptional you know, top-notch defense. Um, I don't know. Let me get the number on how many gold gloves he has. Uh, he has 10 gold gloves. 10 gold gloves. So there you go. Um, once he started winning them, nobody else won them. He's one of the best defenders of all time. And to me, his bat, um, you know, pushes him over. It's good enough to push him over that threshold of being a Hall of Famer. That's, that's pretty interesting because when, when you don't have – you know, like great offensive numbers like mm-hmm. Barry and, and um, other guys could have, maybe Helton, I don't know, but um, you, you need to be that good of a defensive player to be in. And that's why Jones, for me, it's a no-brainer as a Hall of Famer. Uh, maybe, yeah, and maybe not. I mean, he was for sure the best center fielder of his generation defensively, and he, he deserves to be there for sure. All right, yeah, so... Five players on your ballot, Danielle, so far. Um, give us another one. Scott Rowland. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing Ethan, you know. Nice. You know. Okay, so, so, <laughs> nice. so yeah, so when when you think about Nolan Arenado right now, uh, I mean, for me, he's a new age, new era Scott Rowland. I mean, of course, Nolan is – of course, an MVP-type caliber player every single year. But Scott was just 
again, so dominant and his position playing third base, one of the best in the business to, to ever do it. He was also um, a really good offensive player, um, more than great offensive player. Yeah. Great offensive player. Exactly. I mean, for his position to, to be a guy with 70.1 war, that's a lot. I mean, of course, what Ethan said, 60, maybe is like um, not the key, but at least, you know, like a base, for, for players to get in the Hall of Fame, you know, to be 10 points over that, it's it's really good. And and yeah, when, when we look at his career, uh, as a rookie of the year, seven-time All-Star, eight gold gloves, 2006 World Series, he was very important for those Cardinals, you know, six and 04. He was a great leader on that team. What I mean, the combination he had with Pujols and Jim Edmonds, rookie Yadi Molina, Larry Walker in 04 as well when he, when they're in the middle of the season. I mean, that, that was something something great. And I think that you know, Scott as well deserves to be uh, in the hall. And when I see a guy like Jones, and I don't like to do this too much, but when I say, okay, for me, Andrew Jones deserves to be there, I look at guys like Roland. I mean, they had pretty similar careers. And for me, of course, he deserves to be there as well. So... I am in on Roland, and I'm going to hit two birds with one stone right here. I'm going to do Jeff Kent as well, um, mm. because when you talk about these guys, um, you have to talk about them together a little bit, because they're almost the same offensive player. They're, they have the same exact OPS um, in their careers. They're both 855 OPS guys, and Kent has a 123 weighted runs created plus, and Roland has a 122 weighted runs created plus. Jeff Kent is the greatest power hitting second baseman ever. Um, and I think that is worthy of something. That's something we should recognize. Um, every position is different. And I think that you kind of have to weigh a guy out of their position. And if he's one of the best at his position ever, he should be, he should be in. So Kent is, again, you know, sometimes guys talk about the Hall of Fame versus the Hall of Very Good. And when you when I draw my line between the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Very Good, Jeff Kent is just above it. And then Torrey Hunter, who we just passed, is just below it. So um, Jeff Kent had a very nice career. Um, 56 war. He won an MVP. A very, like I said, a very, very good offensive player. His downfall was on the defense, which is where Roland comes in and really cements himself as an as a hall of famer because he's um jeff kent if he were an elite defender um i think roland i mentioned earlier has eight gold gloves that's the same amount as barry bonds he's got 69.9 fan graphs war um higher than my king larry walker so and that 70 is usually that's if there's an auto 70 is pretty much auto so I don't know how he doesn't get more respect. When I looked at Scott Rowland's case, when my buddy mentioned um, a few years ago to me that he has a really strong case, I was blown away. Um, I knew he was a great player, but I didn't realize he was this good. I think he's surefire. Um, and you talked about a guy on the Cardinals team, Jim Edmonds. I just want to give him a shout out. He should still be on the ballot. Yeah. And the fact that he isn't makes me very angry. But Scott Rowland, like you said, Danielle, a huge part of the 06 um, world champions and those Cardinal teams um, and, and the Phillies as well. Great on the Phillies. So yeah, the Phillies are making a campaign to, you know, with, yeah. with Bobby and, and, and Scott and, and I mean, they, they have to do it. Yep. And if you have Kent, 
you have to have Roland, but it's not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, it, Roland now fourth year of eligibility. His first year, he only got about 12% of the vote. This year, yeah. currently at 55.8. So the perception wow. on him wow. has changed pretty quickly. I mean, some of that is also about the ballot being less congested. You know, some of those, that, that backlog finally getting off where multiple Hall of Famers got elected the past few years. So yeah, yeah. finally getting his time. So a year uh, from now, it's going to be really interesting with, with, with yeah. Scott. Yeah, yeah, exactly where it's, this year will be tough. He'll need to be on 77% of the unknown ballots. and uh, But if not, then it moves over to next year. So at this point, both of you guys picked out six players on your ballot. I know. Um, so we'll move on to number seven for Danielle. All right. So, okay. If you could show the ballot. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Hold, hold, hold on a second you know, to, to make sure I'm not messing something up. Um but yeah, yeah, for for n- number seven, okay, I okay, I see it now. Uh, okay, greatest pitcher in playoffs history, Kurt Schilling. I know, I mean, and for or I'm or I mean, one of the greatest, maybe not the greatest, but one of the greatest pitchers to, you know, to pitch in in, in the playoffs, and and also had a a really good career, but a really good career that was not as good as maybe Clemens or. Randy Johnson or Pedro Martinez guys, he, he had to, you know, fight for a Cy Young or, or something like that, but he was pretty dominant as well. And, and when he, what he showed in October um, with the Diamondbacks and then with the Red Sox and that 04 season with the bloody sock and the injury he had, it's, for me, something amazing uh, to look at his numbers and, and, and what he represented to, to each of those teams, I know about his comments mm-hmm. on Instagram and Periscope and the way he thinks about life. And for me, you know, it's it's very, you know, difficult to, to, to swallow. But at the same time, of course, Hall of Fame should be, and it is about integrity. When, when we have a guy like Ty Cobb on the Hall of Fame, or guys like that that mm. play at the beginning of the century of, of mm-hmm. the last century, for me it's like, I mean, what, whatever. I mean, he he has to be there. He's he was just such a great player, such a great pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll get to Schilling in a second. Um, my my next vote is um, I'm gonna try and stick in in alphabetical order here. Um, is a teammate of Schilling's in that World Series, and it's Manny Ramirez. And um, mm. this is one of the more complicated PED cases because he was suspended twice. Um, I have said that I won't be voting for Robbie Cano because he was suspended twice, but Manny's got a much better case than Robbie Cano Never does. Um, one of the greatest hitters of our generation. I think people don't really realize just how good Um Let's look at these numbers here. 66.3 war. That's really good. 996 career OPS, 153 weighted runs created plus, 12-time All-Star, nine-time Silver Slugger, World Series MVP, you know, was a huge part of that court curse-breaking run in 04 for the Red Sox. Uh, great player. Um, the numbers certainly line up. The defensive side is is lacking, um, but I I, I – value offense i value both um and it's we'll talk about that in a case down the line i know you know which one danielle but um 
I, I value offense a little more um, just because of the way it contributes to winning ball games. And because of that, I think when you have a great uh, hitter as great as Manny, he, he can't. He's got to be on yeah. there. So Manny the the, the thing for me, I mean, for me, one positive test. Okay, yes. I, I I can't live with that. But two, and the way he, yes. and the the way he he left baseball in 2012 after testing the second time, you know, not being able to, you know, to to come back and, you know, to, to say goodbye on a, on a high note for me, was really disappointing. I, I was kind of expecting more from Manny on, on that side. Yes. I mean, I, I was not expecting him to, to go out and hit 35 home runs or have an MVP mm -hmm. type season. No, but at least get out in a, you know, give us a, something. Yeah. A, like give, give me something, at least give me, a, give me an apologize or something, you know? Well, well I should that's mention, why... we need to point out yeah, that ahead, he hasn't said goodbye yet. He is not done yet. No, he's uh -huh. playing in he's Australia. Still playing. He's still playing. <laughs> that's amazing. Didn't didn't he sign like a couple of years back in Japan for like free sushi or something yes. like that? Yes. <laughs> he, he played, I believe, in Japan. Seven years ago. And yeah, yep. now he's in Australia. Yeah. So that that season's about and, to get and that's started. Another thing is, it's longevity. He played forever, um, yeah. but I I see. I absolutely see what you're saying, Danielle, um, because, yes, two cases is very – two times is very different than one. And like I said, I'm leaving – you know, Robbie Cano won't make my ballot because of his second test. But Manny's resume is just a little bit too convincing, and it's one of my weaker votes on here because of that, for sure. All right, give us your next player, Danielle. Gary Sheffield. Uh, I can't can leave. Sheffield out of my ballot. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> 500 at hmm. 509 home, home runs, uh, 292 batting average. I'm not a big batting average guy, but um, OPS over 900, OPS plus, or, or, you know, uh, 140. And, you know, fear every time you face a guy like mm -hmm. Sheffield. And I, and I, as a kid, I loved when I was watching games on, on TV with my, with my grandfather and always caught my attention, you know, the stands, mm -hmm. you know, he, the way he was, he was moving the bodies. Like, I mean, why is he doing that? And I, I remember him telling me he's doing that because he's very strong and, you know, power is something very attractive, you know, when, when you see a, a, a baseball player and, and you saw the dominance of, of Gary, um during his time is it's it's something uh unbelievable because he was not only a, a home run hitter he was a really complete player uh, a complete hitter and and that's something that has a lot of value to me it also nine-time all-star uh five-time silver slugger world series in 97 it's important you know world series are important and especially if you're a guy like Sheffield and he played a big role in the 97 season for for the florida marlins so for me of course gary's a, a no-brainer yeah i'll i'll um i'll just go right ahead and, and go with gary as well um you know i i just know him when i see gary sheffield on the ballot i just kind of say to myself he has to be in right um he, you know and, and we need a marlin somebody get me a guy that would go <laughs> in as, right. as a marlin and i really think <laughs> You know, I, I never realized that his prime was here. Um, his best years were in a Marlins uniform. Yeah. Um, you, you could very well argue. So a, a, tr a tremendous hitter. You know, some people will say his defense was really, really, really terrible. I mean, one of, you know, arguably, you know, 
down up there on this ballot and in, in would be one of maybe the worst defenders in the Hall of Fame. But again, that offense is just too good. Um, one of the best hitters of his generation. And and yeah, Sheffield. Um, and then I, I'll go I'll, I'll catch up officially and and Schilling um, is is on mine as well. Um, it's hard. It's hard because of, again, the way he thinks, um, like, like Danielle mentioned, um, but he's one of the probably 20 greatest pitchers of all time. Um, you know, Danielle said maybe the best playoff pitcher ever, um, won world series with a couple teams, um, and is, he's too good. And the hall of fame voters are not the character police. We're not here to, to keep you out because of, you know, I, I want to judge you based on what you did on the baseball field. And, and that's what it should be. And it, you know, it, it's ups, as upsetting as it is because I disagree with him in so many facets about so many of the things that he said. Um, and I really just think of him, you know, it's, it's hard, but at the end of the day, he is what he is. And, and he's on my back. It's, it's hard because he's still like that. I mean, yes. he's, he's not yes. changing or he's not apologizing. I mean, he yes. doesn't care at if all. If anything, so. he's yeah. only gotten worse since exactly. he dropped, you know, he did it at ESPN and then he just kind of said, this is who I am and, and, and I don't I feel don't bad care. about it. And yeah. He's laid it on the line for us and there are people that have taken him off the ballot. I'm not one of those people. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, we got, well, we'll go back to Danielle with the your final two, well, one at a time, um, yeah. filling out this ballot. You have Abreu, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Schilling, Sheffield, and next up. And the and maybe the best left-handed reliever pitcher of all time, Billy Wagner. Uh, if Trevor Hoffman is in the Hall of Fame, I know he does not have as many saves as Trevor, but he was as good as Trevor, maybe better than Trevor, probably most most more effective than him, and he was just great for for a you know good number of seasons. I mean, to be uh, playing there for for sixteen seasons and being pretty dominant as a reliever. I mean, when you had a guy like Wagner in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, you knew that it was going to be really difficult to to come back and and to do do him some damage, and. Basically, that's that's what he showed during during his career. He was a, a seven-time All-Star, which is pretty interesting because he seems like when he had a maybe a down season, he came back for more, and and was really great. And for me, he has to be there. I mean, when when I see him compared to, of course, guys like Mariano, Trevor, K. Rod, uh, Lee Smith. I mean, for me, he has to be there. Yeah, when he debuted yeah, on the ballot I, um, six yeah. years ago, only ten percent of the vote, and he's gaining, another one gaining he, votes. Another one like Scott Rowland that has gained a lot. I mean, currently pacing at forty-four percent, and maybe he ends yeah. up a little bit lower than that um, as this process lays out. But yeah, so still another four years left of eligibility after this year. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm that my final vote here is. Right there, Billy Wagner. Um, I think Danielle said it best. Relievers have to be a part of the Hall of Fame. They're a huge part of the game. Um, it, it, you, you can't keep them out. 
just because only pitch an inning at a time or whatever it is. I just don't see how you can do it. I think you can limit the number of relievers and kind of, you know, raise the standard. But is there a higher standard than Billy Wagner, especially from the left side of the mound? He's the best left-handed reliever of all time. When I tell you that the best left-handed reliever of all time isn't in the Hall of Fame, doesn't that sound a bit ridiculous? So Billy Wagner, um, he's got the, the ninth highest K per nine of all time, a 2.31 ERA, a 2.73 whip um, out of guys aren't um, retired yet. He's second behind Rob Dibble. Um, and yeah, like, like I said, you have to have the best left-handed reliever in, in baseball <laughs> ever in the hall of fame. It's just how it has to be. Um, you know, I think we should open a wing for pitch hit for pinch hitters and utility guys or something. And, and, but this is, you have to have relievers. It's a key part of the game. It's such a key part of the game. Yeah. And, and Billy is as good as they and, are. So. And especially in, in those situations, because when, when you're a reliever and, and you see guys that can have a plus fastball and a nasty hook with a breaking ball or a good, good changeover mm -hmm. or something like that, but you, you have to be there and there's the human element when you're close in the game or when you're in the eighth yes. or, or ninth inning that is very different from, from when you're pitching in the fifth, sixth, you know, or in any situation when the game is open, you are Absolutely. either losing or, or winning. And, you know, you had the confidence all the time that when he was there, he was going to get you three outs or four or yes. five or whatever you needed. And that's why, for me, Bill is a Hall of Famer. And now we, we finish up with your 10th and final pick, Danielle, now that Ethan has filled his out, uh, a couple minor disagreements between you guys, but okay. <laughs> on, on the same page with, with Barry and Roger Clemens and Helton and Jones and Roland, Schilling, Sheffield, Wagner. I mean, uh, a lot in common. I see, I see who you say for last. I, I, I think, I, 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 I know, and, and I know that we agree on maybe 80% of our ballots, uh, which is awesome, but this 20%, and especially this 10%, <laughs> That's going to be huge right here. Of course, Omar Vizquel, <laughs> maybe after Ozzy Smith, the greatest defensive shortstop of his generation. And yeah. wh where do you start with Vizquel? Games played, longevity, um, gold gloves, effectiveness, leadership. Um, but also when, when you see highlights from Omar, it's like seeing a, a dancer in shortstop and he always says that you have to be a really good dancer to play that position and that describes him very well and it's something that you just can see and, and see that magic over over second base but that was just amazing how maybe ahead of everybody he was mentally in, in, in the game and being such an such an intelligent player a smart player his baseball IQ was pretty high. And, and also when you see the numbers, of course, the, of the offensive numbers are not great. And I agree with that. I mean, you played for 24 years and you didn't even get to 3,000 hits. That mm. maybe tells you something. But he, of course, he was not there because of his offense. He was there because he he was a good-ass defender. And and he, for me, he, he deserves to be there. I know that there's a situation now off the field and 
you know, it, it applies the same thing with Schilling and his comments. Uh, I know that he, he was accused of uh, domestic violence. The thing is that in my position, it's pretty difficult because not only I'm Venezuelan, but I have been knowing Omar for years. My, my mom went to high school with him 40 years wow. ago. So I know him pretty well. And I know a part of the story that is not on Ken Rosenfeld's article in, on, on The Athletic. And I know a lot of the things that happened and that didn't happen. So it's pretty difficult, you know, to, to go out and say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, that didn't happen like that. Because, of course, it, it, it didn't happen the way it's shown mm -hmm. over there. Um, but I'm, I, I don't think I'm the right guy because of everything I'm mentioning right now to, to say this. But uh, for me, he's... Yeah, he's, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he was such a good defender at shortstop for 24 years, and, and the impact he had was uh, huge. This is certainly, Eli, the most controversial um, case on the ballot, I'd say, and it's because it's two very different theories on the, on the game of baseball and how you view the Hall of Fame going head-to-head, -head, right? So um, there's the people that say being the second best defensive shortstop of all time is enough. And then there's the people that say baseball is a two-sided game. And I know that I said earlier, Gary Sheffield is one of the worst defended defenders of all time. They're, you know, they're, uh, how can you vote him in? Um, I value offense a little more in terms of the, the way that it gets you into the Hall of Fame. I acknowledge Vizquel's greatness. It's undeniable. He was, you know, um, an 11-time Gold Glove winner. And for me, I don't love defensive metrics because how can you really put a number on that? And I don't really understand them as much as other people. So I go more eye test defense, and he passes the eye test with flying colors. Um, I heard a really interesting discussion about this on the Levitard show with Tim Kirkshin talking about Ozzie Smith and they were razzing him about, you know, Ozzie Smith can't be a hall of famer because he was such a terrible hitter, but Ozzie Smith played a very different game. Um, yeah. Hitter shortstops didn't hit period back in that day. They, you know, they were eight hitters that you buried to kind of save them and they were out there for defense. Um, and that's shown in the fact that Ozzie Smith won a silver slugger. One year. <laughs> Great, crazy enough to believe. Um, but Ozzie, is the best defender at any position in the history of the game. And to me, he's the only person that can get in solely off of defense. And also his offensive numbers are better than yeah. the skills offensive numbers. So I understand the attachment that you have to him. And if I were in your position, I would be going crazy for him to get in. Because, yeah. you know, he's from my, he, he's from your country and everything. And I, I respect everybody's opinion. I know, but, but, it's but, but, a, but for me, make, it's one of the tougher yeah. ones. But, but I want to make something clear. The first years he was on the ballot, for me, he was not a Hall of Famer. I mean, when you see the names that were there two years, three years ago, you say, okay. Like right now, if I had a vote, I wouldn't vote for, for Omar. But because of how the ballot is right now and yeah. there were. It's a weaker ballot this year. It's a weaker it's a ballot, weaker, year, it's a weaker sure. ballot, ballot this clear. year. I think it's going to be a weaker ballot next year or even two years from now. And he's going to have maybe a higher chance to, to get more votes. I don't know because of the situation that is going on right now. I hope everything gets clear as soon as possible because, of course, this, this is going to 
uh, affect him going going forward. Um, but yes, I, I I agree with you. The thing is, that I certainly believe that he was such I mean so good as a defender that he, even though with his um, offensive numbers he might have a chance to get there and mm-hmm. deserve to deserves to be there. Um, also, you have to be very car- careful with longevity because yes. I mean there's a reason why you play 24 years. Mm-hmm. But That's when crazy. was the I mean in, in those yeah, 20, I mean, to play 24 years, to, to be doing something for 24 years, it's it's unbelievable. But to be playing in the big leagues for 24 years, man, that tells you a lot. The thing is that how many of those years were great or good, at least good for Omar? Mm-hmm. 17, 16, maybe 18 years? Because the last, what I remember the most about Omar in 2012 with the, with the Blue Jays and um the, the Rangers, the White Sox, last part of his career. I remember the, him with the, the Giants. Giants. With the Giants, I exactly. With the Giants. Those were not elite years for, for Biscoe, of course, not being 38, 40, 42, 45. I think he played until he was 45. <laughs> of course, it's, it's pretty difficult. But at the same time, it tells you about his discipline and how mm-hmm. he was getting on his business every single day, you know, to play mm-hmm. that much of a time. So uh, that tells you something about Omar. And one thing people have to understand about me is um, I exaggerate my stances on everything to the maximum. <laughs> so I don't actually hate Omar Vizquel. And if he gets in, yeah, I won't agree with yeah. it. But And he's got, he's probably, let's be clear here, he's probably going to get in, especially with yeah. a weaker ballot, um, you know, weaker ballots coming down the line. Like you said, you know, this year, um, I don't know if anybody's going to get in. Schilling's got the best shot, I, I don't um, think so. and 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 he might not even make it. So, um, with weaker ballots coming, I think Omar's going to get in. Um, and when he does, what what am I going to do? I don't have a vote. I should have a vote. Give Ethan a vote, by the way. Um, but anyway, I think yes, th- there are certainly you know if you look at the game one way, like I said, if you look at it one way and if you look at it a different way you have two very different opinions clashing on the scale and that's what makes it fun because it's it's such a, a clash of of styles of the game it's the the old way to play where shortstops didn't have to hit and it's the new wave of fernando tatis trevor story and guys watching you know the the guys now correa and seeing this and saying a 688 OPS, really? Like, you couldn't muster up anything more from shortstop? But, again, the defense is undeniable. One of the best defenders of all time. And, and, and totally, you know, I understand his case for sure. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, you know, to, to close, it, close this out on, on my side, there are enough, there are enough arguments for, for Biscoe to get in as much as there are enough arguments to be skilled to not get in the Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. that's why it's such a uh, tricky case to, to evaluate. Yeah, and here in all its beauty, the ballots filled out for, for Danielle and for Ethan as well. I'm going to take little screenshots of these and post them on the Twitter feed as well so that awesome. people can actually see them instead of just you guys <laughs> behind the scenes. Where's yours? Uh, we're going to get to that in just a moment. I know what you were thinking. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you scroll down. I saw you sitting back in your chair pondering. If you scroll down. to head at some point. Yeah. So thank you to my, my two experts here. Danielle voting for Abreu, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Jones, Roland, Schilling, Sheffield, Viscale, and Wagner. Ethan voting for Bonds, Clemens, 
Helton Jones, Kent, Manny Ramirez, Roland Schilling, Sheffield, and Wagner, and me also voting for 10 players, nine who we've already discussed, Brayu, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez, Roland, Schilling, Sheffield, and Sammy Sosa. I don't know how we didn't mention Sammy Sosa, who aside from Bonds is the next highest home run hitter on the ballot this year. He was, I mean, he, he was really the co-face of all of baseball for several years there alongside Mark McGuire in the late nineties, early two thousands. McGuire has since fallen off the ballot and Sosa is, is pretty close to falling off the ballot too. Actually, let me just check right now to see how many years of eligibility he has left. You know what I said after this year. And And you uh, know what? I said that Sosa is my honorable mention um, because I, I, want to prioritize other guys on the ballot but all of a sudden i'm realizing that's flawed logic because he needs the most help <laughs> yeah but, sosa uh, it's, I, it's not looking good for he him he has an uh, amazing he has an amazing case pa- uh, pacing yeah. at about 21 percent this year again with only one more year coming up after this year uh suspicions about him in performance enhancing drugs if you follow his career arc uh it's very unusual the fact that he uh was a very ordinary player deep into his twenties with the White Sox came over to the Cubs and things really took off. But in his prime, I mean, his peak was incredible. It wasn't just that one home run chase in 98. There was two other seasons where he was over 60 home runs. Um, 186 per- weighted runs created plus in 2001. Yes. Yeah. Even if you adjust for the era, he was one of the most dominant overall players, but and certainly uh, on the short list of most dominant hitters of that era, um, He's, he's had a strange post-baseball career that I feel like has has worked against him and the fact that he hasn't really been directly involved with the team and his breakup with the Cubs, I, I mean... It's sad. Ethan, it's you might... Yeah, that, that's something that, that could, you know, gets my attention, that why he's, he's so outside of baseball, you know, I, like nobody, nobody's looking at him. Mm-hmm. I don't, I know, don't if, know much. I don't know much about the situation, to be honest with you. Um, I know, you know, that... Not to say that I haven't always loved the Cubs, but they haven't been, you know, my number one team my entire life. Um, but once I really, really started getting into them, once I visited Wrigley, um, all these Cubs fans have always been mad about the fact that Sosa has never had a welcome back. He's never really been acknowledged by the team. Um, so I don't know the full situation, to be honest with you. Um, but I mean, he, he's a, a tremendous baseball player. And I think there is something to be said, you know, for an intangible thing, a non-number, which is what you talked about, Eli, the 98 home run race and being the face of being an icon. You know, there's something about Griffey, you know, um, an icon of the game, Sheffield, that batting stance. There's something to be said for what these guys do for the game. And Sosa is certainly one of them um, in terms of what him and McGuire did. And if you look at that 2001 season, I cannot imagine how he didn't win the MVP until I looked up who won the MVP that year. And of course, it was Barry Bonds. So, <laughs> you know, but he, he had a nine, se- se- nine 71, 71 home runs is enough. 71, yeah. 73, something like that. Oh, was that. That was in 01, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that makes sense. But um, I mean, like he's a fantastic baseball player. 
and it's a shame that he's probably not going to make it and and that the the Cubs fans have been calling for him to get a welcome back forever. Uh, to close this out, and of course, we've gone about twice as long as I plan <laughs> to. This happens every single time I record a podcast with people. But to tie it back to the Marlins, because there are a lot of Marlins fans listening to this, uh, Sheffield being the one guy on the ballot who spent a significant chunk of his career with the Marlins, if he does get in, probably not this year, but if he does get in before his eligibility expires, he may go in with a Marlins cap. They were he, he did move around to a handful of different teams, but you can make the case they were his primary team, had a couple of his best years and won the World Series with them. If he does not get in, who do we think is going to be that first Marlin in the Hall of Fame? As things stands, they do not have any players in Cooperstown that have a Marlins cap that played for the Marlins as their primary team. Uh, the franchise came into the majors the same year as the Rockies. The Rockies finally got their guy last year in Larry Walker. Uh, who do you think, if it's not Sheffield, who do you think is the one that finally breaks that drought? Because if it's not Can him, we we're going to be waiting a while. Right now? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say six, though. <laughs> uh, Manny, I, uh, I don't think Giancarlo, I don't know if he's going to have a you know, the last part of his career is going to be worthy of a Hall of Fame. Maybe G, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not quite sure, especially knowing how. And if it is, does he even go, does he go in with a Marlins cap or does he go in with the Yankees cap? Because yeah, exactly. you would have to say that, you know, he won an MVP with the Marlins. Yelich, give me a break. There's no chance. <laughs> but, but, but he won an MVP with the Marlins, but the years that, springboard him he's not a surefire hall of famer yet you know there are guys in the league right now that are already surefire hall of famers that if they were traded they would still you know degrom would go in with a yankees cap and scherzer would go in probably with a nationals cap at this point but did g were g's years with the marlins the years that got him into the hall of fame or would it be considered that his years with the yankees got him into the hall yeah. of fame it's the same thing for sheffield i would like to think that he would go in with a Marlins cap because if you look at it, his four best years or so were probably the, the, the years he spent with the Marlins. Um, and so there's a really good case to be made that he should wear it. And maybe he would think, you know, they don't have any, I'd love to be the first. And who was he more famous with? You know, I remember him as a Yankee because that's what he was when I was a kid. And probably what he was on MVP baseball, I think. So that's how I that's how I remember. I love that argument. Um, Yeah, and that's why and that's why I don't I didn't realize that his prime years were with the Marlins, but they were. So yeah, after that, you know, you know, who's next? Is it six still maybe? Because you know, out of the guys now, if you want to talk that down the line, but. yeah, I don't know. We might be waiting a long, long time yeah. because Hoffman – well, Hoffman I don't even think ever pitched here, but, you know, we might he be waiting like, a long time. He pitched time. like five minutes here. <laughs> and he, he, he was actually traded for Gary Sheffield. For Gary Sheffield, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm still of the opinion that I do think there's a path for Stanton to get in and to go in as a Marlin. If, uh, if he doesn't last his whole contract with the Yankees, if he switches teams again – has more good years, but not like incredible years. If he never gets over that hump and makes it to the world series that like, there's a path where he still has a hall of fame caliber career yet his very best 
seasons were with the Marlins. And of course he had that MVP his final and I would say Marlins that, season. And I would say that his parting with the Marlins was the least he, he's always shown love to us kind of, and the fans have always kind of maybe um, more than yell You know, it, it went down less hard than, than a Yelich or a JT. Maybe Ozuna was the best parting that they had, but I've always felt like there's still love, um, you know, not like there's no love lost between some of the other guys that they traded away, but maybe there is something, maybe somewhere in his head, he would like to go in as a Marlin. And he's probably oh, out wow. of the active guys. I, I, I was going to say a, a case in Migi Cabrera, but I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, he, he's going to go in with the Tigers. For the sure. Tigers for sure. Yeah. 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 If it's, if it's not Sheffield, if it's not Stanton, then it's going to be a long time. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in, in the pod, maybe it's long enough that we all have our own votes by the time that it's an actual deserving Marlin on the ballot a couple decades down the road from Eli Sussman, Ethan Badowski, Danielle Alvarez Montez. You can find Ethan on Twitter at EB underscore Gators. Give Ethan a vote. (laughs) Give Ethan a vote being the display name. You can find Danielle on Twitter at Danielle Alvarez EE and and follow his, his stuff, his commentating on IVC networks and his swings and messages in Espanol and uh, El Extra Base, uh, all his coverage over there, and the staff working underneath him doing great work over there. And uh, it's fun to follow along, even as someone myself who doesn't speak Spanish. Um, it's uh, I, I, I learn it through like following your work pretty well. Thank and, you, uh, man. Uh, you cover a lot of topics that are, are really engaging to me. And uh, yeah, very impressive with what you're doing over there. So thank you again for the thank very first time, and I'm sure not the last time. Coming of course definitely of, definitely of course not. of course not i mean i'm thankful with with you guys uh, you know for for having me here of course i love following your 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 job and getting in touch with your staffers in at martin's park of course i i we didn't talk about joe but uh for sarah but um of course i'm gonna miss him he was great he was amazing from the first time i i met him in 2017 when i first started covering the team and he he's been great with me since then, teaching me mm-hmm. every single stuff that that he could, baseball, non-baseball related. I only taught him about um, cursing in Spanish, which is pretty fun to to hear Joe saying <laughs> saying that type of stuff in Spanish. But uh, no, it it was an amazing ride with with him the last three years, and and for sure I'm gonna I'm gonna miss him. And uh, yeah, I, I think he he's leaving a, a huge impact on every young writer or whoever is covering baseball right now and following them artists. He for sure did that. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, Joe and I had our fair share of fits on um, Twitter together, but he was always <laughs> um, respectful and, and, you know, he, he knew that I was, a, a, you know, a aspiring writer and he was always um, very encouraging about that. And he was a good dude. And, um, you know, he's not gone. He'll be around. Of course, yeah, um, he'll be around all the time. I, the, my, my only, I told him the only thing I'm upset about for him is that we never got to cover a game together in person. We did this past year during the pandemic. He was at home. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sad that he won't be there when I get there in person um, for the first time in a real season. So um, we just want to, yeah, definitely thank Joe um, for his time with the Marlins. And uh, I mean, from what I saw um, on the Hall of Fame tracker, I don't know if he actively votes for the Hall of Fame. He should no. have a vote. No, um, the, the thing is that for some reason, 
like um, the BBWAA start considering MLV as part of them like in 2016 or something. 15, I don't remember. So he, I, I don't think he has the time. I, I think you have to be an active writer and voting, you know, for awards or something like that for 10 years, maybe. So I, I think Joe, Joe is still going to be around, not with MLB, but he's still going to be around and he's going to do stuff. And I'm pretty sure about that. But maybe he will get his chance, I don't know, five years, four years, maybe. Uh, but eventually he'll get there. Yeah. Um... Uh, mentioned him on the previous pod episode that I recorded and we still got a couple more weeks with him officially on the Marlins beat but left a great impact and he's helped our coverage so much along the way uh helped fish stripes even before I came to fish stripes and uh ever since we joined up it's been a great ride together so from Danielle Alvarez Montez from Ethan Badowski, Eli Sussman on the official show here in the fish stripes podcast gave you our hall of fame ballots we'd love to see all you listeners give ours as well when you see this on Twitter or on our website, yeah, we want to hear how you would use your votes this year. Uh, because in real life, there's that risk that nobody actually gets voted in this year, uh, which is going to be very awkward. But regardless, the ceremony next summer is going to include the, the players that were voted in in the class of 2020, which includes Marlon CEO Derek Cheater. So regardless, that induction ceremony is going to be... Uh, and my king, Larry Walker. And, and Larry <laughs> Walker, who's the Hall of Famer. Don't forget Larry Walker. <laughs> the hall of famer yeah, no matter what happens with this latest round of voting that that ceremony is going to be a must a must watch for both Larry Walker for and jeter and whoever else joins them thank you for listening the official show follow our coverage on fish stripes and all our associated platforms and uh i'll probably have another pod coming up with you guys before the new year so thanks to my guests for joining us and as always go fish <laughs>